Okay, so we just made a little edit there, and I had to take a little break because uh, Karina's phone was dying, so he took a chance. So he took the time <laughs> to uh, work out. Uh, by the way, by the way, how's the uh, the rib injury healing? You know what? It's like the most annoying injury I've ever had. You know, and I've I've had tons of injuries over the last like 19 years. But the ribs, like I've I've been lucky. I've never had to deal with it, and now it's you know it it's tough. You know, trying to get your wind back and trying to get you know, uh, you know, everything you do, you know, revolves around your like revolves around your ribs. And man, it has been like one pain in the one pain in the ass. So, but is it it's healing well enough? Hello. Yep, you there? Yeah, yeah, but it's it's healing yeah. fine. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I what because when it happened, it's everyone was scared that it was something a lot worse. I mean, was it just was it because he could because he all the wind was gone and you couldn't get the words out? I mean, why was it that everyone was so much more scared was so scared that it was a lot worse than it turned out to be? Uh, you know what? I have no idea because, like, um, I mean, when it happened, like, I couldn't breathe at all. Um, the only thing I could get out was finish, finish. Um, but it, it was bad. And you know what it was is that, like, um, like it literally crawled back to the, the back. And then um, – but I think everybody saw, like, how the bump was. And I, I've done that bump, you know, 20 times in the last, you know, um, you know, 12 years and stuff like that. So it, it was crazy that like that one time that it, it really didn't work. But uh, yeah, yeah, oh man, did that hurt. Do those, are those guardrail bumps? Are those, do you ever just kind of think about, like, especially if just something like this, do you ever just kind of think, I'm never going to do that again? <laughs> um, after that, yeah. Because, you know, I've been doing this for so long like that. You know, it was... Um, and, and there's a, honestly, there's a like a little science into it, and I'm never going to do it again, so I might as well reveal it. You know, it, it's basically um, what you want to do is you, you put the guardrail on all four chairs, but you put it like so it's on the edge of the chairs, so that like when you fall through it, then you know the chairs blow out and then it goes everywhere. Um, so that it falls with you instead of not giving. Yeah, and like the energy basically goes with the chairs like it blows out now and like i i'm not i would never blame jimmy for this but jimmy doesn't like jimmy jacobs didn't realize how like the magic was made with that because you know i keep it you know because it kind of is an easy bump and but it looks so cool uh like we were rushing for to get it um we were rushing to get it together and he locked it all in and like and so in when we came down like i literally just took it you know what i mean Oh, it was so it was so bad. <laughs> so uh, when you say locked it all down, you mean he had like the guard? He had the each edge of the rail was pushed all the way into the back of the chair. Yes, yes. So like there was nowhere for me to go. Like we, there was nowhere for us to go. And as you see, it, it just like I just crumble. And it was weird because it was the front of my ribs that got hurt, um, not the back because that's how I landed. And you know I was at the hospital and I just you know and. Like a bunch of the boys came and I, you know, Jay Briscoe, like I just kept apologizing to him because I felt so bad. Uh, yeah, because that wasn't the finish. That wasn't the original finish. Uh, I felt so bad that I felt like I was like screwing him, you know, because I didn't, I didn't, uh, you know, I wasn't man enough to kick out. And like, and then I kept, I, I kept worrying that he was going to like, he got hurt because, you know, here he is taking the, the same bump I am. I'm just taking like, you know, I'm taking the bigger part of it. Oh, it was felt so bad. It, oh man, did that thing hurt? And it hurt for weeks. I mean, it's it's been two and a half months, and I still get like the the soreness. So I mean, it, it's interesting for me to hear that because it makes sense when you say it. But like all the stuff going into guardrails and ladders and stuff—that's the type of stuff that always is feels kind of uncomfortable to watch. You know what? And I think, that, honestly, I think that's really starting to uh, be the trend where it's almost like hardcore wrestling is um, um, is hard to watch. You know what I mean? Because you know, like, these guys are busting their butt and trying to do, you know, what they can to survive. And, here, you know, 
everything is, um, you know, you know, these guys are getting hurt and, you know, it, it becomes uncomfortable. It's almost like, you know, watching, um, you know, you, you, it's almost like, you know, when you, I, when I watch MMA, like I feel bad because I think like these guys are really getting hurt and, um, you know, I want to be entertained. And now like when you watch a guy bleed or you take a chair shot to the head, you know, it's never that at all anymore. It's, ugh, you know, it, it's not what it used to be. Yeah, I mean, whether right or wrong, it's like there is some kind of disconnect in your mind with with MMA. I I don't know if it's because it is a competitive sport as opposed to a strictly athletic entertainment or what. Even though it doesn't necessarily make sense that you don't quite feel is we uncomfortable with it. Right, I agree. Uh. I mean, for me with MMA, I, I think it's with boxing. Boxing, I can't watch boxing. No, because no. I just feel like all it is, is is punching guys in the head with 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 you know these big heavy gloves. Right, and why isn't there more um, like talks about that? Like I, I was watching like Junior Seau's family suing the NFL and stuff like that. I'm like I'm waiting for now boxers to start suing. And it, well, I mean, NFL, I think, as far as lawsuits, I think NFL's going to be a bigger target because you have the centralization. Yeah. Not like gonna, especially with boxing, you have so many different promoters and all that. Uh, I, go ahead. Yeah, I totally agree. It's, it's, uh, it's strange. It's like they're, they're going after the one that's going to have the most money. And, like, I feel, like, do you really think, like, the... the um, the head of the helmet department said, you know what, let's, let's make this so that they scramble their brains in 20 years and kill themselves. I, you know, it, it's what, what's going to happen is, you know, there's going to be all these lawsuits and, you know, regulations and it's, it's a shame. It's just now we know, and it's a shame that like guys have had to like die. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I agree with what you're saying. I, I think it's more, or, you know, I think the, with what the big lawsuit has been is that, they kind of it wasn't necessarily you know gleefully twirling their mustache as much as you know that the nfl that they had done studies about the long-term effects and that they had kind of um downplayed them right yeah i can understand that it's it's just it's <clears throat> like I, I don't know if you can put like a 100 percent blame on the nfl because you don't know like guys' mindset. It's you know, it's saying the same thing of like, you know, I, I've seen guys in CZW take these tremendously crazy chair shots, but you know, that we still talk about like Benoit. Like and I'm thinking like Benoit wasn't a like a hardcore guy. Like what you know He would take chair shots to the back of the head though. That is that's crazy. I hate taking anything like when I can't see it in Yeah. I mean, you know, it's like never. I think it's wrong for anyone to try to use it as an excuse. Yeah. But I don't think you can say that it had nothing to do with it. You know what I mean? Oh, I, it's, there were so many things going on, though. Yeah, there is always factors in in everything. You know, you know, O.J. Simpson, you know, kills his wife and you know her lover and stuff like that. You can't say that it was football. You know, there was there was more rage going on there too. You know, it's it's just there's always a combination of things, and it, it's just a shame that like, man, you know, like that these things happen. It's just, but they do. Yeah, and I mean, we're recording this. I think I think it was yesterday that they announced that there now may be a test for chronic traumatic encephalopathy in living people. Yeah. Uh, I. I I guess I'll I'll ask you because I haven't listened to it yet. But the show that Brian Alvarez did with Lance Storm yesterday, I know he wrote that he asked. It said in the description that he asked him about it. Would you get tested? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's like anything. It's uh, you know I don't I don't know how much you know about like Nigel McGuinness's uh, his documentary that came out. You I know, haven't and, watched it yet, but I mean I I know I know the gist of the story that. It, it was the well. It wasn't even the concussions that caused WWE to pass. The, um, so like, was he, 
I don't want to I don't ruin it, but like you know, basically it said, and people know it now, is that um, uh, you know he had you know hepatitis B. He had caught hepatitis B, and you know it. He doesn't know where he got it from. You know, he's always been, you know, very, uh, you know, very uh, safe and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, he he brought up the idea for ROH that everybody get tested. And, like, one thing he asked me is, like, hey, you know, you're you're a guy that's been known, you know, that was known to bleed and stuff like that. You know, how do you feel? Do you feel like, you know, you would, uh, you know, be offended by asking? I'm like, no, you know, I get tested yearly for you know stds and you know all this stuff because you know i'm scared of you know i don't want to name names but like there's guys that i've wrestled before that you're like oh my god like what you know what's going on with that guy or you hear that like this guy's been with this girl so you're like oh boy you know i this guy's blood on me before you just want to be safe you know and i think like testing anything like whether it be hep b hep c um stuff for concussions and brain injuries and you know is is right up there with you know drugs you know you're just trying to make everything safer not just for the sport but for the the people that are actually like in there like i would want to know if i had a brain injury or hepatitis or something like that i don't want to be dumb and like go out there and put somebody at risk right because yeah i mean that's a good way to think about it too with the with with brain injuries too because if God forbid you had some kind of cumulative effects down the road and it started to, you know, get in the way of how you were thinking. It could make you dangerous in the ring and, you know, with the... Dangerous at home? I mean, no, but even in the ring, you know, I'm thinking of, you know, the same way you don't want to be in the ring with someone who's wasted on pills. I totally agree. Yeah, I totally agree, you know. And um, you just never know. And, you know, I think at this point in professional wrestling it's entertainment you know it's still like athletic entertainment you said that earlier and it's that's 100 percent perfect it is an entertainment field you know and uh we we have to take care of each other you know it, it and we have to evolve with the times it's you know my, my character the king of old school is, is a character but you know you know as as much as i loved 1983 wrestling let's face it you know it's it's a different world in 2013 uh, now with the, you know with all this stuff about i mean have you i guess since all since i, I get well the, the, since you i guess first heard about nigel having hepatitis when because i i know there were there were rumors before he released the documentary and i don't know who he told exactly or what but how, how have you have you have you bladed since that no no okay you know what um uh let me see since October of 2010, one time. Yeah. So, so, and is that a conscious decision? Oh, absolutely. Because you know what? It's not needed. It, it's it's not needed. It's you know people know how the magic is made and stuff like that. So it's what do you, you know, why do it if like people know how it's done? Like, it, it's it's kind of crazy. And there's nothing that would make me do it. Like. There's guys in pro wrestling that love to do it. Like they'll talk about, oh, let me get some juice or something like that. And I'm thinking, no, no. Like I never like to do it. You know, it was one of those things that it was told to me, you know, by my boss or every once in a while. You know, I I survived 79 tours in Japan and got color three times. You know, in ECW, I did it. I think it was like I, I tried to do the number. I think it was 29 or 31. I don't have my paper in front of me because I wanted to say like uh, I wanted to see how many times I've actually gotten color over the years. And it was 46, 46 times in 19 years. It's just I think the times that I've done it, people really remember it because, you know, I bled it way too much. Well, uh, and your forehead. Yeah. And, you know, and I'm a scar like and that's, you know. It, it, I have a I have a scar on my like you can't see it because my uh, my trunks cover it up, but I have a scar from diving into second base. You know, it, I my doctor had once told me that oh people scar, and I'm thinking, oh damn it, why didn't I know this? You know, <laughs> in 1999 before I was you know before it all happened. So yeah, 
What, did you try to do like the hairline thing to try to hide it or it did and you know what it hurt it hurt so bad <laughs> like i just like gave up and uh and dusty once told me like oh you can get the uh get the same uh the same spot all the time and i'm thinking okay cool nope couldn't do it <laughs> <laughs> so i'm like what the hell I, it, I, I, I was thinking about this recently for some reason. I guess maybe it was just with all that, you know, with all the Nigel stuff. That it, it, is there any conceivable way to use some kind of stage blood in wrestling? Uh, I think so, but I, I don't know if there's like, I mean, you know, blood and capsules in the mouth and stuff like that have been used. Right. But for you the know, forehead, I, forehead's I, up. I mean, at first, when I think about it, at least just in terms of, because I know part, at least one of the reasons that bleeding was considered more practical, as far as I know, you could correct me if I'm wrong, was that the visual of the blood continuing to come out was preferred. Yeah, yeah. And you know what, the in the, the blood, uh, very, very easy, you know, it's it's very easy to do. And... Right, that it's an area of the, that where it's very easy to get a lot of blood to come out. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I feel like, you know, now that with UFC and stuff, people see cuts get stopped with yeah, the blood exactly. still being on the guy's faces. And I feel like it's worth at least looking into just because I feel like maybe you can still get that visual, which is what you're going for to some degree. I mean, yeah, the blood's not going to keep flowing out, but whatever. It, I, I think it's at least worth just re-examining because I mean, also... Yeah, I mean, they're, you know, you're not going to get good results from Halloween blood capsules that you're going to get, you know, at a party supply store, but it's, you know, it's been a long time, I would guess, since anyone and I would have actually considered it, you know, probably decades. I, I, I'm, I'm just curious if it's po it would be possible to do now, if there would be some way to do it. Uh, uh, you know what, like... Yeah, I don't know if it's even of like a, a a thing of like a guy can get it and then they stop the match to patch him up and then he's got to continue and uh, you know what like uh, I mean I yeah know. I would think just is in terms of something someone just smashing like a squib against his forehead or whatever that would just yeah. look stupid. You know what it is? His problem is the the forehead people know like it, it could be a, you know hard weight and stuff like that and. People are going to believe like ah he got it you know he got he got color, um, but like if you look back at Kyle O'Reilly and Adam Cole from last June, it was uh, it was crazy because it was uh, Adam's mouth that was bleeding, and uh, yeah it was uh, it was scary but because you know what you don't expect it so you're like oh my god what what happened here, and uh, yeah like there it it seemed more real. Now, by the way, in that match, what did the thing that people thought was a tooth turn out to be? His gum. It was his gum. Okay. His gum fell out, yeah. It just happened to fall out at the perfect moment. Oh, my goodness, right? And, like, and when you looked at it, it looked like it looked like his tooth. He chewed it into a perfectly shaped tooth. <laughs> yeah, totally by accident. But, man, that was scary. I was the um, agent and on Gorilla at the time. And it was like, I, I was the one that sent the doctor out because I was going to stop the match. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God. And like, I literally, if you go back, I'm on the headset and Bobby Cruz has his hand over his ear and I'm like yelling, I'm like, don't let him in yet. And then there's that visual of Adam saying no to the, um, to the, the doctor and the crowd just comes alive and like, I wish that was like 100% work, but man, that was crazy craziness. So, being a road agent, because if I remember correctly, you you also had a tryout with WWE as a road agent, right? Yeah. Uh, and, go ahead. You were saying. Something. Yeah, and writer. Yeah. Yeah, and now, I mean, the general perception that I have, and I guess that I guess most fans who sort of who follow this type of thing have. Is the, is the guys who kind of help 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 the wrestlers sort of work their work their match out, you know, kind of how to get to the finish that they're given, etc. But 
I know in WWE at least that they have some other duties too, but is that more of a WWE thing than like in other promotions that use road agents or are they mainly just to help with the matches? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> I, uh, um, I wish I knew like, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I wish I had that like experience to be like, Hey man, you know, this is, this is, uh, this is cool. Uh, but yeah, you know, ROH, it's it's more of like making sure that what was supposed to go on goes on. You know, I wish I had that chance. I, I, I think that, um, you know, maybe not now, maybe, but I think I could be a good, whether it be an agent for WWE or NXT or something like that. I, I think I have the experience and like the know-how that like, you know, I could, I could definitely be a help, but I, I really don't know how it all works. So like, I wish I knew. Because I literally, when I had the interview for writing an agent, I never even made it to the agent. Yeah, once <laughs> once they didn't like that I was there to uh, try out as a writer, uh, yeah, it all went south from there. Because you hear, I'm trying to think, what type of like duties have I heard for the WWE road agents? There's a road agent who looks after the box office. There's a road agent who looks after the merchandise money, right? I mean, it's... They have a bunch of other roles, but they can, I guess some of them can be subbed in to also work on the matches too. <coughs> yeah, I, you know what? It, it's a weird sounding system. Like that it's, yeah, it's a well-oiled machine though. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, they're number one for a huge reason. And they also like, I haven't, I've seen quotes from it. I haven't seen it myself. Like that, cause there's one that got kind of leaked that they also have to write these reports for each show. I think that's been a long time. Yeah. No, but that's... that it's like down to the weather. Oh, really? Yes, that it's like, oh, it was a, you had an easy drive getting to the building. The weather was whatever. <laughs> um, oh, I never heard that. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, that it's that that it, I, it's a it, no, it's a good idea for them to go over all that stuff, but it's yeah. it was I was interested in how detailed it was and and I, I wonder if that's a Vince thing because they're a publicly traded company. I wonder if that's how, that's why. Just a, like, like a a record keeping thing. Yeah, like they literally have to, you know, every nook and cranny they they have to like watch out for. Uh, it could be that too, but I was thinking like you know the stories of Vince seeing the poster and that a seat was empty and demanding that it be you know photoshopped, that type of stuff. Oh. Man, just I wonder wish... if it's that one of those weird detail things or what. I hope. Yeah, I would love to be a part of that. Man, <laughs> <laughs> uh, seems like fun. <laughs> so one thing, and I think I mentioned this when I emailed you that I've been curious about, and especially you're probably a good person to answer this since you were in ECW at that time. I've heard from multiple people over the years. I think I heard it from. Eric Tuttle, when he was at the ECW, when he was training at the ECW school, I heard it from various people, Frank Goodman, you know, but various wrestlers <laughs> who were in ECW, all sorts of people, that yeah. Tony DeVito was an incredible worker. Oh, absolutely. What Now, not that he's bad, and I liked him, especially in ROH and Carnage crew and stuff, but it seems like he, him, and I'd say as far as WWE, maybe Kane to a lesser extent, what is it that that fans aren't necessarily seeing there? Um, that's a good question. Because, like, I had known Tony from, the like, the New York Indies, uh, back in the old, like, Bob Bailey days. Um, and he was awesome. Like, he was, you know, he was, a, he was heavier then, too. And he was doing moonsaults. I mean, this is 95, 96. He was awesome. Like, and uh, I was really happy when he started to come to ECW. And I think people's perception of him are what he did with the Baldies. And, you know, that's the thing. Like, he's a he's a worker. So he's going to do what Paul asked him to do. And, uh, you know, sometimes that hurts you. Sometimes that helps you. You know, he was, you know, doing a role. I don't think he got the chance to actually show people what Tony DeVito in the New York Indies actually could do. But, you know... He's a good guy, and he was oh man, he's a hell of a wrestler. He yeah, I really think and um, you just notice like they were guys that came into 
ROH. And, like, people were kind of like, well, why these guys? And because Gabe knew that, like, DeVito was a hell of a worker. Um, so it, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, some guys just don't get the, the press that they should have or the opportunity to be the gimmick that they, you know, were somewhere else. But And that's a shame, you know, because I think – there comes a time in wrestling where guys that deserved that push or the spotlight uh, don't get it. It's not their fault. Circumstances just kind of fall that way. C.W. Anderson's a, a, a major, major example of that, too. You know, you go back at really at the end of ECW and he is just about to get pushed. You know, that last pay-per-view where they him and Tommy Dreamer and the I Quit match and how the, the crowd reacted to it, you know, he was he was going to be the next guy that Paul really really built into a single star and you know it just you know the timing just didn't work out and uh, I really think that like whether I, I think TNA really would have missed the boat on him because WWE is more of an entertainment thing but I really think that CW could have been a real real major player you know the guy shot a promo he, his work was phenomenal and he'll go down like a Tony DeVito that really just was that hair away from, you know, really breaking out. I think CW gets maybe more appreciation than, say, a DeVito would, but still not as much as he deserves. I agree. And I think it had to do with that that last little bit with that feud with Dreamer. Really, you know, people knew that, like, CW could have been the next big star. And uh, where, where DeVito was in a gimmick... Uh, you know, group where, you know, he didn't get a chance to shine because a lot of times the Baldies were there as fodder for New Jack. And, the, you know, they didn't get the push that, you know, they might have been able to get down the line and stuff like that. Uh, you know, it, the last CCW pay-per-view is, you know, me, just incredible fighting off the Baldies. And that was going to be like a program. And, uh, I know Paul wanted to put a lot of heat on them, and uh, which would have been, you know, enjoyable, and I think it would have been a spot where Tony DeVito would have, you know, shined in. Yeah, it, it's a shame because, you know, DeVito was that guy that you didn't, you looked at him, you didn't know if, you know, this guy had star quality. You watch him for ten minutes in the ring, you're like, man, I'm a Tony DeVito fan, and uh, it, it, it's just a shame that he never got the push that he deserved. Yeah, I think with. Kane, since I used him as an example, I think with him that's clearly the gimmick because whenever he gets kind of out of the Kane monster rog type situation, he has great matches. Yes. I mean, you know, when he was feuding with Punk and Danielson last year, he clearly knew that to keep up with them, you know, he had to work their type of match and he... he kept up with them completely and not only did he work that type of match he like kept strong to his character yeah Kane is a great example of like knowing what you got and you know doing the best with it look at look at him now with 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 uh, daniel bryan and the tag team you know this guy was a guy that was coming as a killer and now uh you know now he's doing like com comedy stuff with one of the best like pro wrestlers in the entire world and it's over, and it's cool, and it's fun, and, you know, he's he's been, think about it, I think he's been under contract for, what, 17, 18, 19 years now? Yeah, like, he, he started Isaac Yankum in summer 95, so yeah, over yeah. like 17 and a half years. <clears throat> and I think he was under contract before that, though. Like When, I, he, was, I, when he was in Smoky Mountain? Yeah, I want to say that he was one of the first... Uh, like first real developmental guys. Hmm. I'm not, I didn't. I don't think I knew that. But I mean, it's even either way. I mean, yeah. That is. I don't think I ever really quite thought. It's like the, the, this whole last decade just kind of snuck up on you that you don't realize how much time has passed. No, no. You you realize it at WrestleMania when you see uh, when you see like the record of Undertaker and you're like, oh my god, he's been around that long. Like, oh crap, like. That's my youth. I, well, he's I, been I, around I, longer because there were a bunch of WrestleManias he missed, too. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Well, I never realized that. Well, I mean, because he, he started in 19, November 1990. 90? Yeah. So, yeah, so it's been 
Yeah, so it's been over 22 years now. Yeah. And uh, with, K- with Kane, I remember he also... I remember when he was ECW champion on ECW on Sci-Fi that he had a match where he defended the title against Punk. And it was it was interesting because he... And this is... So this is a few years ago. So this is before, when he was still on Mask. But he... During that whole... I was It was fascinating. During that whole ECW title reign, it was almost like he treated it like... Like, you know how in Mexico, how a title match is a specific style? How it's always a technical match? It was like he was treating it like that. And he had this, like, 20-minute match, Mac-based match with Punk, and it was awesome. Yeah, he's, he's like, 100% class act, too. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, you hear some people say, oh, you know, people, people just say he's a great worker because he works light. No, he's, he's a great, great wrestler. And not only that is like he knows, you know, he knows what to do to stay over too. You know that you never hear that guy. You never hear Kane is going to be on the chopping block. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you, you never hear that stuff because you know he's so good. Yeah, I mean, would you, as good as they've always been, as much potential as you could tell they had, did you ever think there would be a period where Raw was pretty much completely focused around Punk and Danielson, like it was? For a few months last summer, because there was a, there was a point where like for weeks on end, it, between the two of them, they take up like an hour and a half of the show. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, that's a good question. It's uh, it's fun to watch. You know what I mean? Because, you know, you know those guys, and and you know you know where they came from, and like when you get to, you know, wrestle those guys and stuff like that. But uh, man, I, I'm so proud of them because. As much as you want to say, oh, well, those guys were like ROH wrestlers or this or that, you know, they're WWE guys. They've been there for a while now, put in the time and paid their dues and wrestle that style. And, um, yeah, I'm just so proud that they were they were able to break that glass ceiling of you have to be 6'5", 300 pounds jacked, you know, or you can't entertain up there. And, uh, yeah, they've just been – it's just been like uh, – it's a lot of fun to watch, you know. The, the evolution of punk, you know, from coming in in what was it, 05 or something like that. And you know, now he's, you know, been champion over a year. And, you know, I walk down the street sometimes and I see a kid with a CM Punk shirt on. And I'm like, man, I've known that guy for years. And, it, you know, it's so cool to see, like, the success of these guys. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it really is just mind blowing just to think, yeah, how that type of thing has changed. And, just all all the little things that are going on, like oh my god, Rob Mueller is booking developmental TV with Dusty Rhodes. Yeah, I mean just all sorts of stuff. I mean a lot has changed. Yeah, it's it's true. It, it's so true. It's uh, and it's it's cool to see. You know, it's it's very cool to see, especially like, like we talk about student of the game. Rob Naylor is definitely a student of the game. Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah, it's so cool to see that he got the job and he's making, you know, a living out of it. And you know, at the end of the day, he's having a blast too. Like you could tell, like he's having fun. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's good to see because you know some guys go there and then they hate it, and uh, and you feel bad. It's like, oh man, they they dreamed all their life to be in WWE, and then it becomes an awful experience for them. And like you, you hate to see that. Yeah, it, it seems like it seems like right now most people in developmental really enjoy it. That they have that whatever the problems with the system were before, that those are mostly gone. Yep, I, I agree. Yeah, and that, I, I don't know if that's uh, like a, a Triple H influence or or what it is, but. You know, that NXT show, I don't I don't know if you get to watch it, but man, that's entertaining. Yeah, I've been sort of, I finally got Hulu Plus, so I've been watching it late because yeah, starting to watch it re- recently. Um definitely entertaining. So, I mean so I mean it's interesting. so actually no, I think I guess you and Nail are now are both sorta of guys are both sort of Dusty Rhodes proteges. Him more than me, you know. Well, <laughs> he, yeah, he he's he like to work with Dusty every that's day. his that's that's his job title. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, but I guess you know we talked about the Hashimoto stuff. 
I mean, Dusty, I mean, that probably more so, though, was the dream, pun not intended for you. Oh, my goodness, yeah. You know, growing up, uh, watching him at the the Philadelphia Civic Center every month and then actually getting to work a program with him and hang out with him and pick his brain and stuff like that, man, it's cliche-ish, but, man, dreams really do come true. So, I mean, how... Yeah, sorry. Uh, got a little tongue tied for a second. Um, it just—what is it? Is there a point, just as a wrestler, where you sort of get past the point of? I, when I say starstruck, I mean more with childhood hero types. Like, do you get past her? Like, like because by the time you, by the time you were working with Dusty, you were pretty experienced. I mean, you were on national TV and all that, but. Were you still kind of, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God? Oh, absolutely. I, I love telling this story. The The first night that I got to work with Dusty, I didn't even know he was in the building. We were in Atlanta. And, like, I've always called Tommy Dreamer uh, the dream, you know? And, like, he would, he, you know, we would joke about, like, hey, you're working with the dream tonight or this. Or, like, he would talk about him in the third, in third person and stuff like that. <laughs> so, uh, uh all of a sudden, like, you know, here I am, like, with him. And, like, Dreamer goes, oh, you're working with the Dream tonight? And I go, so what are we doing? And he goes, oh, no, not me. Like, the real Dream. I'm like, <gasps> Yeah, and it, it's just such, such a cool, cool moment. Man, what a great time. Looking back, I think it was around that time that, it, you know, Dusty had that weird thing, you know, where he was, like the villain to Flair's hero and, you know, with Observer readers and stuff. And it was around then, I think, that it sort of started to turn around where people were like, you know what, why am I caring about that? And Uh, Dusty stopped being, like, a villain. Because I remember he was, like, he was on Wrestling Observer Live around then. And I think Dave even said, like, the next day, like, you know what, why am I... Why would I grill him about this stuff? I, you know, from twenty years ago, when we can have more fun just telling stories. And you know, he was in a tough position. You know, it, it's being a booker is tough. Like, and you know, I had always read. I, I want to say it was Lawler that said, when somebody asked him, like, "Why do you always book yourself on top?" and he said, "I can trust me." And I thought, oh, well, that makes sense. And it's it's crazy because. You know, me booking myself, I I can't book myself. I can't, for some reason, like, I just have the hardest time ever. Like, it doesn't, like, I'm like, oh, man, what, what am I going to do here? Like, why would I, what do I see myself as? You know, I can book other guys, but, like, it's hard to book myself. Whereas, like, you know, Dusty knew that he was over and he could do it. And um, it, it was one of those things where, like, he knew he could trust himself. So why wouldn't he book himself on top? Yeah, I, I don't... Yeah, I mean, Gary Hart said the same thing in his book. Like, even though Dusty... I mean, that was when he really had started to gain weight and slow down, but he was still Dusty Rhodes, you know, yeah. working... You know, why wouldn't... And he also, at that, at least that, you know, later on, he really was not working on top on top. No. No, he was usually you know, working, you know, like second from the top or whatever, and that was the right spot for him. And let's face it, you know, if if Magnum TA doesn't get into that car accident in 86, I think you would have saw, you know, Dusty go to that number three, two or three baby face quicker than what he did. Yeah. Well, yeah, Magnum was, was his boy. I mean, he, he would not have gotten in the way of him at all. He was the heir apparent. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, uh, um, you know, when it when he went down, it was like, oh, my God, what do I do? And, you know, um, and if you remember, Barry Windham wasn't with WW, or, uh, NWA at that point either. So it was like, you know, he came in a little bit later. So it's not, you know, you, you kind of, not that you say you had to rush him, but, you know, you kind of had to rush him, you know? and get him over because, you know, starting in 1987, here you go. Now you have a new, you know, you need a new baby face. And I I think Dusty gets a lot of backlash that he shouldn't have. And, you know, it's funny to say, but like I have 
a huge amount of respect for a guy like Dave Meltzer. Like I, you know, being a baseball fan, I look at Dave Meltzer as a um, Peter Gammons. You know what I mean? Peter Gammons wasn't a major league ball player, but that doesn't mean that he doesn't know about re- or baseball. And whereas a guy like Dave Meltzer, who you know, made a career out of reporting wrestling and you know breaking the fourth wall, basically, um, you know, he at the time also was you know a fan. Like I, I see Dave break down MMA the way he used to break down wrestling, and um, you know he was a guy with an opinion and stuff like that. And sometimes if you don't know the people in the story, it's you know, personally and stuff like that, or where their mindset is, you're, you're going to think a couple different things. And, uh, I always, I always respected like Meltzer could always like, you know, no one's right a hundred percent of the time, but like Meltzer can admit when he's wrong. And like Wade Keller can admit that they were wrong and they get the backlash sometimes for oh those guys don't know anything or, you know, they, they expose the business and stuff like that. Eh, I think it's a cop out, you know, it's, you know, it, it's like, do the people from Variety magazine get called out for, you know, exposing the back backstage of movies and it, it affecting and stuff like that? People always want to know that how the magic's made. And I think like once, you know, guys like Dave and Wade got into the heads of a, of a Dusty and wondered, you know, why they did things that they did. I think it really it really helped. It really helped, like, oh, okay, now I understand. Like, he's not just some guy trying to get himself over. He's th- These are the reasons why he did the things that he did. Now, I think we we're, we're, we probably should finish up in a couple minutes, but that you bring up, you know, the newsletters and, the, you know, bring up, you know, that you do respect Dave Meltzer and all that. Here's something I've been wondering, and you might be a good person to answer this because you mentioned knowing Mike Johnson for years earlier. I get the feeling that, and I think someone outright told me something like this once, and that there are at least some people, some wrestlers who sort of tend to gravitate more towards Mike Johnson than they do Dave Meltzer because Mike's in the Northeast, he's always at shows, and they can sort of consider him their guy more. Um, yeah, I could see that because, you know, Mike is, Mike's a real good guy too. Like, and you, you can tell like he cares about the wrestlers where is like Dave's on the West coast. So, and you don't really get to see him. He's not in the, 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 the spotlight per se, like at a show, like, you know, I've never like in 19 years, I mean, I've talked to Dave during an interview and stuff like that, but man, like I, I've never seen him at a show, but like what show would he come to of mine? Whereas, like, I've seen Mike Johnson, you know, hundred times over the uh, the the few year, the twelve, thirteen, fourteen years that, like, I, you know, I've been around him. Where I, yeah, so I think maybe people, guys, think it's more approachable and stuff like that. And you know, Mike is a, is, is a real fan of wrestling. Like, he loves pro wrestling to to the point where, uh, you know, it's you know, like when he's writing, he's at his you know, happiest and stuff like that. So I, I think guys do gravitate a little bit more to him because they see him more. Like, I guess, what is it? Wade Keller's in, is it Minnesota? Yeah. Or something like that. Whereas, you know. Yeah, Minnesota. Yeah, like a lot of guys aren't going to be able to see him where, you know, Mike has got his laptop at an ROH show or an Evolve show or a Dragon Gate show or, you know, shows reporting from the, the building. So I guess guys kind of probably feel more comfortable. Yeah, um, you know, Dave, at least, you know, he used to, um, you know, he used to travel a lot, but, you know, he has a family now and he travels for, you know, for, you know, for the, for, for work, for the MMA writing, but that's, you know, part of his job. He doesn't really, you know, he doesn't take his wrestling vacations anymore and I I don't blame him. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, we all grow up. Yeah. Um, So I guess I just want to go through, I guess, a Maybe a little bit of a lightning round, just a few random things that I have here. Best Dennis Corluzzo story. Oh, my goodness. Um, he One, he would used to say, hey, why don't you come? He goes, I'll buy you, uh, uh, I, I'll, I'll buy you dinner at the free buffet. I'm like, what? And the other <laughs> one was we were at a show, like at a church or something like that. And he goes, let's go out there and rape them. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> 
and Dennis, like Dennis was known for being shady, but he had never, ever, and he always paid me very well for like an indie guy, you know, and here I am five years in or four years in, he, you know, he's giving me a hundred, 150 a night when the houses were great. The last night I just started with ECW and, and Paul said, you know, you can finish up with Carluzzo. <laughs> he goes, he does a little locker room speech. He goes, Hey, Carino, remember when I said, <laughs> I never screw you. Look in your envelope, and there was fifty bucks. <laughs> <laughs> and that was just like, man, that's the like that was the fun Dennis Carluzzo, the fun Dennis Carluzzo times. Okay, favorite Mike Lano story, and does it involve Dennis Carluzzo? You know what? I I was never around Doctor Mike too much. Like on the West Coast, I would see him. So like, uh, I probably don't have any Doctor Mike stories. Uh. So you were not there the night that uh, Mark Corluzzo uh, ordered him a pizza and took a dump on it. No, no. What was that story? Um, Mark Corluzzo ordered a pizza for Mike Lano and took a dump on it. Ah! <laughs> Still not no. quite as bad as Fujiwara porn. Huh? Still not quite as bad as Fujiwara porn. Oh, that'll blind you. <laughs> um... What was the original incident that made you hate Green Lantern fan? Oh, he's just a dick. Like, he's just he's just a snotty person, too. Like, you know, you, you have fans that'll boo you or write stuff bad about you and stuff like that. But, like, they're not bad people. They just don't like your character or something like that. Green Lantern fan thinks that he's, like, above and beyond like cooler than anybody like cooler than any fan any wrestler any staff member oh i just despise him he lives in north carolina now and i hate it really yeah <laughs> um yeah. i mean was it like did the candido wake thing put it over the top like to this i from he annoys me to he i don't think he's a good person uh, you know what? I wasn't at the Candido Wake, so like uh, I was, I was in um, Finland at the at the time when they they had the funeral. Uh, so I don't, I don't know. Like I had heard stories of guys like asking Dreamer for like tryouts or bringing their video to. Uh, to yeah, Dreamer. I heard about that. Too. <laughs> yeah, but I did hear a Green Lantern story though. He he showed up. He uh, uh, and I, the way I heard it was that people didn't want to make a scene, so they just kind of let him be. Oh, well, I, you know what? Like, um, I could see him going if like, he's just going because he respects, you know, Chris and stuff like that. And Chris was a good dude, but, uh, I mean, the way yeah, I heard it was that he was kind of do it, that he seemed like he was doing it to be around the wrestlers. Oh uh, yeah. Then, you know, I mean, yeah, it came in his green lantern shirt and like was trying to like, yeah, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Like, I don't get it. Like, why do fans have character? Like, why do fans and referees have gimmicks? No, like, man, you're killing it. Oh, that right now. So you actually, that reminds me now you, so you, by the time you were in ECW, um, sign guy was long gone. Yes. Yeah. So now I'm trying to remember, I think it was it Raven or Richards that did, that told the story. I'm trying to remember if this is something that they told or came third hand. Is that the reason they kind of tried to drive him away with, Lou, Lou D'Angeli's a song guy Dudley was that he went up to Raven or Dreamer at a gym and said game vape because uh, <laughs> oh you never heard that one <laughs> no if someone would have came up to me like that I would have been like what he was like oh sort of like I guess the same thing that you're sort of saying with Green Lantern like act like he was the baby face to their heel yeah yeah and that's sometimes like yeah, like I'm trying to do my job and entertain everybody in the crowd, not just you. Like you're not part of the show. <laughs> you know, oh, by the way, we're talking about tapes and getting booked and stuff. That reminds me of what you were saying earlier about that some people you thought accused you of, um, you know, saying that you'd show tapes to Hashimoto and you didn't, whatever. I think I know the origin, at least the origins of some of that, that there was someone and i might be wrong but i think it might have been casey james who did a seminar where he said or maybe he brought you in for a seminar i don't remember the story but he did something where he said he would deliver the tapes ah yeah I, mean, I, I yeah i used to take like uh you know this is back before 
uh, you know, you got charged for bags. I literally would take a suitcase full of tapes every every time. I think it came from Fat Sean Davis from the Heartbreak Express. Like, because he would say, brother, Carino's getting us in zero one. And then, like... Wait, was this the guy who was the of the Sean Davis project? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Like, and I would say, he would say, brother, can they use me on the next tour? Everything's brother. And I would say... <laughs> Hey man, they tell me who to book. They give me a list. Hey, this guy, this guy, this is the offer. You know, send it to him. Like, if you're not on their list, then you're not getting booked. Like, you know, I can only do so much. <laughs> now, and by the way, if it wasn't Casey James, I I apologize, but it, that's the story I heard, I heard like third hand. But the the James, it could be Rock and Randy. Hmm. There was some, but the, the the gist is that there is definitely a story that there was someone who at least I don't know if he didn't deliver it, but the idea was was that he promised you he would give you that he promised them he would give you the tapes, whoever it was. Uh, okay, yeah, I never heard that. Like, I know that like Rock and Randy brought me in for a couple seminars, and I literally would leave with twenty videotapes. Yeah. Uh, hmm. Yeah, I mean, I used to get videotapes in the mail weekly. Thank God for DVD. And the internet. Yeah. Now I just say, here, here's Nakamura's email address. You know, send them a YouTube clip. Yeah, I mean, actually, um, our, a, our mutual friend Jeff uh, said to ask, said to, said one of the things that to maybe ask you about would be the TNA gut check voting with the online videos. Oh, it's irritating. It is, man. Like, I, I hate opening up my Facebook and there's like 13 requests from guys that I've never heard of before saying, oh, in, you know, vote for me, vote for me. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, I don't even know you. Like, why am I going to vote for you? Like, how about working hard and, you know, going to Louisville and, and train and wrestle in front of them and stuff like that? Ugh. They're treating it like just a regular Internet petition or bowl or whatever. Yeah, and like I don't get it. Like you gotta put in the time and do your thing. You know these guys that like get the reputation. Well, oh, they're bodybuilders, and WWE sign them. You know they still get sent to Florida and have to train and work and earn their their spot. And ugh. yeah, I don't know where online voting is going to make you the next TNA champion. Okay. And, and like, and you know what? Like Rocket <laughs> Rebel is the only person I've seen so far that's done it right. He says on his page, hey, if you can vote for me, doesn't send out, like, dumb invites, doesn't send out, like, you know, I get, like, these messages. Wait a second, you did know? you just say that Rock and Rebel is trying to do gut check? Yes, I know. Yeah, can you believe that? Yep, solid. <laughs> oh, man. Now I'm all irritated. I love Rock and Rebel just so you can because you can use his name as a verb. Like, for example... <laughs> He rock and rebelled the show by saying he had to work a match if he wanted to use his promoter's license. <laughs> uh, and, you know, he's been around forever too. Like, yeah. I, I feel, him. yeah, I think I saw him before. I, I'm trying to remember. I saw him somewhere before ECW. Um, I State Wrestling Alliance. I used. I'd see him. Yeah, but well, no, not out here. I mean, maybe it was IC. Oh, it was maybe it, it was either ICW or uh, NEWA or something like that. Might have been IWCCW. Yeah. Well, IC IWCCW was ICW. ICW. Yeah, yeah. I remember. I remember because I want to say that uh, on an old Mario Savaldi uh, TV taping, I, I, you know, I did like a squash match against Rebel. That I want to see. <laughs> probably so bad. It's probably like my fourth or fifth real match. The, the, now, when would this have been? Because it had to be '94. Okay, because that was like the last time I remember ICW actually being on TV. Like Orange, Pennsylvania. You know, it's funny. My second professional match was against Osama uh, Nishimura from. Uh, well, now he's like freelance in Japan, but he was over uh, on loan from New Japan, and my right, second yeah. match was against him. Really? Yep. Uh, that was. I, what was that like? Because I mean, was he? I mean, I don't want to say what's he easy to work. I mean, did he still kind of have the Japanese young boy mentality? Oh, yeah. Young boy mentality where he was going to beat you up. Yeah. <laughs> and, and funny because, like, 
to know him now and be friends with him now. He's like the most gentle person in the entire world. But man, like, yeah, he put it on me. And I'm like, oh, well, what is this all about? This is cool. Like this Japanese style is just what I watched on these VHS tapes. Yeah, yeah, but I've yeah, I've always heard that he's just a super nice guy and yeah, very good at English and stuff. You know, he lives in Tampa and and flies over to Japan when he's got tours. Really? I mean, yeah. I knew that he I mean, I remember him doing the stuff with Dory Funk, but I didn't realize yeah. he actually lives there. Oh yeah. Yeah, Tiger Hattori from New Japan still lives in the states. Does he still work work for the office? Yeah, yeah. Oh. But he he still lives in Brooklyn. Wait, Tiger Hattori lives in Brooklyn. Yep. <laughs> Did you ever do that? No. Oh, Hello. Hello. Yep. Yeah, yeah you, you dropped out for a second after you said. I think oh. after you said you don't you didn't know that. Oh yeah, yeah he uh, yeah he's lived there for years. Well, I did. I, I'm trying to remember. I feel like I like I knew that. Um, I'm trying to remember from who, like who from which, like the like I knew Tokyo Joe's in Calgary. I don't know. Is he still with New Japan? Uh, I'm not sure. But I didn't know Tiger Tor. When did he end up in Brooklyn? Because I thought I thought he was. I thought he lived in Florida for a while. Because like or well, I guess decades ago. Because like, what what is it? Was wasn't he like Dean Malenko's high school wrestling coach or something? I want to say that's right. Yeah, I, I want to say he's been in New York for a while. It's, I, I, it has to be ten years. Huh? Because ever since I've been in Zero One, yeah, he's been there. But I would, I would not. Uh, for some, for some reason, that makes me very, I don't know, happy. <laughs> just, it's just a weird thing. I don't know. That's yeah. interesting to hear. <laughs> um, I, I think I just Dang. ran through most of the. Oh, uh, most outrageous thing. <laughs> you think you've ever said on a promo was it you cut mag mta's break line was it uh the crusher was a boy toucher from this past weekend or that one i rehashed because i did say that um in that same interview that i said about uh magnum ta i had said earlier that the the crusher was a home uh was a closet homosexual and sexual deviant (laughs) yeah i like this i like boy toucher better yeah and, he, and I even said he was one of those gays. One of those gays. <laughs> right? Like, it, it's because Rhino, Rhino bet me that I would get heat off by saying gays. And I'm like, I don't know. Like, you know, in, in this day and age, like. Well, wait, I, what city was that in? It was in Milwaukee. Oh, that was also in Milwaukee. Okay. Yeah. And, and it was just like, how much ridiculous things can I say in three minutes? And you're saying the crusher was a boy toucher really hit, hit hard. I'm like, oh wow, okay, cool. He's still over here. Yeah, he did. He's the man who made Milwaukee famous. Yeah. And uh, finally, because I know this could lead into a good start, I was on Wikipedia. It said that you once wrestled as Tom Kusadi. Yes, my first WWE uh, WWF job match. Oh, okay, that makes sense because so many guys always you. take like goof names. Yeah, like Tom, when Cabana he, wrestled using Ace's real name, and then Ace would wrestle using Cabana's real name, and yeah, yeah. Um, Tom Brandy didn't want me doing it as Steve Carino. Like he's like, let's do something, and I, I, I forget who it was. Joked like, hey, let's make him Tom Kusadi, and oh yeah, it was so funny, you know. Now, Kevin were you Tom, at the were you at the show that was haunted by the ghost of Tom Kusadi's mother? No, no. You, do you know the story? No, I, I was out of the loop by then. Okay, uh, Tom Kusadi, uh, for those who don't know, was, uh, I guess, in New Jersey, an, an indie promoter who was spending the money he had inherited from his mom. And one show, um, I forget um, if it, if they were goofing off because it had really bombed especially badly at the gate or whatever. Uh, it was either Nova or Donnie B. I want to say it was Donnie B., grabbed the house mic, hid, and said, Tommy, stop spending my money. <laughs> that sounds like a Donnie B thing. Yeah. Uh, Nova is not nearly as clever as his brother. <laughs> oh, Donnie B was definitely a clever guy. <laughs> I haven't seen him in years. 
I haven't, yeah, he hasn't really been on the radar much. I want to say, and I'm probably wrong here, the last time I heard, I heard he was a cop. Yeah, good for him. Yeah. And, uh, oh, finally then, uh, Dale Gagner. Tell me something interesting about Dale Gagner. You know what, like, I didn't get to see the ridiculousness of Dale as much as other people did. And, like, the weird thing about Dale is that like he conducts himself like he conducted himself to me like he was Mr. Professional like any show that I would work for him second I got off like the plane and something like that I would have like this AWA superstars of wrestling envelope with you know brand new money in it and stuff like that <laughs> like an itinerary and like you you would think it was like first class and then I would hear like stories from like Ricky Landell where like you know Dale would call him and go crazy on the phone and like Ricky would be like, just calm down, Dale. And um, yeah, like, I don't know, like Dale to me was like, if you didn't know everything else, you would think like Dale was like the most professional person ever. Like he was very organized. He had um, now he used to say he had a secretary, but like, I think they figured out like it was his sister or sister-in-law or something like that. And are you sure uh, it wasn't him doing a funny voice? No, no, because um, I did a three-way call with them once about my travel. Ah. <laughs> yeah, and like, <laughs> and I want to say Landell because Landell was thinking like, I think this Christy girl is is him too. Yeah, I was like, wondering I if this was a Paul Heyman's roommate type situation. No, like I think it was like his sister or sister-in-law that would like literally like help him out. And uh, yeah, like I was like, oh, well, it is a real person. Um, yeah, it's a shame, like, how he did things because, like, he ran some good shows. I, you know, we worked a show in New Orleans that had, like, I don't know, 2,000 people with the main event being, like, me and Ricky Landell against the Patriot and Steve Dr. Death Williams. And, like, people were all into it. Now, wait a made... second, though. Del Wilkes or Tom Brandy? Uh, Tom Brandy. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, the real Patriot. Um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was that. I remember having a blast. I remember Brandy, like, leaning in and going, what the hell? This is easy. I'm like, yeah, right. And um, yeah, he had these things at fairs and stuff like that. And yeah, I can honestly say Dale never, never screwed me at all. I mean, you know, once he started dealing with the the zero one office directly, like I didn't, you know, once they started having problems, I was already, you know, I was out of the loop for that. And being AWA champion, I mean, you had already been NWA champion and stuff, and it's the real NWA. Did you see it as kind of a lesser thing? Did you, in your head, think, this is not the real AWA, don't ever think of it as the real AWA? Yeah, you know, well, like, it, you know, I took it as, you know, as, as a character, like, man, you know, I have to, you know, I'm the champion, so I'm the, the face of the organization. Just like, you know, Frank Goodman runs once every three or four months. And, you know, and I'm the champion of his organization. And when I'm there, you know, I take that title like, oh, I'm super serious. I'm the PWX champion of, you know, the world. When in, in reality, I'm the PWX champion of the National Guard Armory in Orlando, Florida, every three or four months. And but like, you know, it was it was cool because like holding that belt was awesome because it was like the zero one wanted to get the old one, like the, the Bachwinkle style. So like like having that belt was like very cool, you know, but, um, you know, I never took it as like, Oh my goodness. You know, I am the, I am the real AWA world champion and stuff because you know, even as NWA champion, it was never going to be the Harley race or the Ric Flair or the Pat O'Connor and Luthez and stuff like that. It was same name, but different era and different, you know, well, technically the same company though. Yeah, technically, but you know, loosely, well, it was but, no, it really was the same company. It was always for wrestling LLC. That's true. Yeah, and like mark out moments though, I'll look and I'll be like, oh, that was cool because you know Hashimoto had given me the NWA title that he had. So like you know I have a picture in my uh, my office of like both the AWA title and the NWA title over my shoulder, and I'm like, man, I mean, of course you could probably do that with replica belts, but you know I was like, oh, that was that was pretty cool, like as a, as a mark out moment. But you know in my you know, going back on my history, I, you know, I think of more of, you know, I, I don't, I don't think of it as, oh my goodness, that is my, you know, claim to fame. All right. <laughs> so right now you're in ROH. I mean, I guess that would be considered your sort of your home base right now. Yeah. Uh, 
you been very I'm trying to remember the last IP review I saw whenever you sit in on commentary it is fantastic <laughs> it's ridiculous yeah, I watch theater and I'm like oh I can't believe I said that you yeah you just you, you just say whatever the hell you want and that's what they want you know like the first time I did it came from like a lot of frustration and I'm just like you know what I'm taking this chance I'm just gonna say whatever comes to my mind and like apparently they loved it and uh yeah so and i love doing commentary it's so much fun all right so i guess as far as just yeah anything you want to just plug besides roh or just mainly just your twitter i guess and email for bookings yeah twitter is uh, at steve carino uh you can email me for bookings at carino wrestling at gmail.com my website is world of carino.com uh spicing it up a little bit a little more baseball talk this year and um you know getting getting some extra time to dedicate to it i mean i do it all myself so it's not like you're not going to see like wwe style you know website but you know it's fun and uh you know i like interacting with people and you know it's keep trying to have fun yeah i I didn't i didn't realize actually until like a couple nights ago that that you have a blog there so i'm definitely going to check that out because i'm I can tell that I just I from talking to you I mean I really I appreciate that you, you clearly just love wrestling so much still I mean that you that it just uh, you know what I mean the fire is still burning in you and it, it really it was a pleasure to talk to you just because the fan in you still there just everything oh absolutely like that's the thing like I, I never understood why guys get so like angry and frustrated like I get frustrated you know like it if a promoter doesn't pay me or there's like something going on, you know, I get frustrated, but like at the end of the day, this is still the business that like I dreamt about getting in when I was eight years old, you know, what, what can be so wrong? You know, at the, at the end of the day, I've, you know, I've got to do so much more than I ever thought I would. So, you know, why, why be bitter about it? You can't go through life being bitter. It's just going to spike your blood pressure. (laughs) All right. So take care, man. Okay, you too. Thank you. Thank you.